All right. So uh, last episode, I mentioned that at my alma mater, which is Virginia Tech, they have been requiring tablets for a while. And when I say tablets, I don't mean iPads. I mean, honest to God, those those awful Microsoft quasi-computers, not the Surface, like the real old Microsoft tablets. And so I got some feedback. Uh, I got some from a just-graduated or recently graduated student, Alan Fuller, and I got some from somebody who is associated with the teaching part of the college, um, Joseph G. I'm going to read you a very small excerpt of what uh, Joseph said. He said, I teach electrical engineering, uh, and I can tell you that most of the students here hate those required tablet PCs that they are all required to buy, more expensive and less capable. The purpose is for everything to be submitted electronically, but it fails so spectacularly at this that I have I just have them print everything and submit hard copies. I suspect half of them are browsing Facebook during class anyway. And I thought that was kind of interesting and, and, and different that here it is that the school, if you ask me, was trying to be progressive and say, oh, let's do this wild thing with these tablets. And as it turns out, apparently everyone hates them anyway, which is of no great surprise, but I thought it was interesting. I think it's interesting too. Like, I mean, I I think we are all, especially John, we are all old enough that uh, we, we didn't really have computers really that prevalent in classrooms when we were in college and certainly, you know, high school. I don't know if they do that in high school yet, but uh, you know, we didn't have, they like, do. Like, not everybody was having laptops on their desk in college when we were there. Uh, is that fair for you also, Casey? I know it's fair for John because he's like 50. Well, wow. Um, we did not have laptops in, in high school when I was in high school. However, um, the school in which my wife teaches actually made national news many, many years ago, because, well, like 10 years ago, because they used to have, um, what did you call the, the MacBooks before they were Mac- iBooks? They, they used to have iBooks, and they sold them for $50 a pop after they'd been used by like middle schoolers for a couple of years. And they sold them at the Richmond International Raceway, the NASCAR track. And apparently they were like stampedes in order to oh, get I remember these 50. That. Yeah, that, that's, the, that's the school district in which Aaron teaches. So <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> how about that? But to this day, they have really crummy Dells that all the kids get issued. And from what I understand, it's a double-edged sword. I can't imagine getting anything, like paying attention to, to, to school at all. If I was in high school with a laptop, with an internet connection, even without an internet connection, just I paid just how why would you ever pay attention to class right i mean like i remember like there was in my senior year of college we had one class that was in a brand new lab with all these linux desktops and i spent so much time playing same gnome and browsing the internet and not not at all paying attention to what was being said in the class and i was lucky that even being a computer science student most of the classrooms didn't have computers and they just look like regular classrooms with desks and you would take notes if you were a good student or you would stare at the wall like me. Uh, and the idea of like having those, I, I would not have the self-control and I would imagine, uh, in fact, I, I know I didn't, when I, when I had that opportunity senior year, I didn't have that self-control. And I looked around the room and no one else did either. And uh, I have to imagine uh, that's probably going to be a pretty common problem as computers infiltrate and become... I, I, they probably already are um, everyday items now in college classrooms. Well, you know, the problem with the Virginia Tech thing is it's like the Minitel effect where uh, a school thinks, all right, technology, you know, this is the next big thing. And the mistake they make is saying not not just that we're going to require everyone to have a computer or this year we'll require everyone to have this computer, but like 
they think that they're going to do they're going to do it like they do with desks like we've decided that this is the best desk for our school and it's got this <laughs> chair and this height and has this place for your books and we're going to order 500 of them we're going to use them for the next 20 years and so they decided that whatever you know this little flippy round screen tablet pc thing like that's the future and they just went with it and they expect it to be you know standardized going forward and that stuff is obsolete before it even arrives at the school due to like the delays in, in purchase orders and everything and after they realized that they made, or after everyone, after all the students realized that they made, they made a terrible mistake, you know, oh, we, you know, don't, this is terrible, don't do this, it doesn't work, doesn't make our lives easier, these are crappy computers. They don't say, oh, yeah, no, we got to stop that. And they just, you know, they keep going with it. Oh, we'll get the new version of that tablet PC. So it's a whole combination of ailments of like not refusing to admit your mistakes and not realizing that standardizing to that degree is always going to come back and bite you. And the, the Minitel was this computer they had in France. I don't know. Someone in the chat room can look it up on Wikipedia and tell us more about it. But nice. uh, for a long time, it was, uh, you know, it was good. And then, like, everyone had France, you know, everyone in France could get a Minitel and get onto this little network and do interesting things. And you don't have this in your other countries, but it's bad. And that it lasted forever. And it was just an embarrassment and a joke. Obviously, the government doing it is the worst case scenario in terms of, standardizing universally and being out of date and taking forever to arrive and not being able to fix mistakes. But a university is a, a nice step down from that. Well, and to be fair, uh, Virginia Tech only mandated tablets for the engineers, and they've been mandating computers in general for incoming students for something like 20 or 30 years. I think it was like mid-80s that they started mandating uh, that all the students would have to have computers. But it is, I, I agree with you, John, that it's, I think, them saying, ooh, this tablet thing, this is progressive and exciting, and we're a progressive, we're a progressive school, and it ends up biting them in the butt, and nobody has got the confidence to hit the brakes and say, man, maybe this is bad. And also consider that these aren't purchased by the school. These aren't issued by the school. These are, everyone has to buy their own machine. Yeah, well, they're taking so much money from you anyway. Who cares? That's I mean, true. It's like <laughs> kind of insulting, though, at that but, point. Yeah, it, it feels bad, but it also feels bad buying hundreds of dollars worth of stupid books every semester, too. So. That's true. <laughs> I don't know. The kids still buy books? We used to buy books. Oh, yeah. And, and, and they, they still pull all the same crap with, like, uh, with like you have to buy the professor's own book, yeah, yeah. and then you have to buy like the 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 spiral bound like Xerox piles that are yeah. some yeah. other thing. Like and and then of course they have the the used book ordeal, <laughs> which <laughs> there's no better word for it. It's just a, a giant scam. <laughs> and it really uh, is. it's I mean that's you know I wonder the, this has been a, a a big problem that's probably beyond the scope of this show, but. Uh, you know, th- th- there's a problem now with college being worth it or not. And I don't know how much this has been a problem in the past, but it seems like a combination of of uh, surprisingly dramatically increasing tuition in the last uh, decade or so, and then the, the economy being so terrible uh, for jobs, seems like college is actually becoming a worse and worse deal for students. I mean, I... Again, this is probably way beyond the scope of this show, but uh, you know, all these things add up, and you got to figure, especially like in our industry, where so many people get by just fine without a college degree. Uh, it doesn't really help when you're starting out, but you can make it work. And it's pri- private college is probably like you know, because state schools, I think, even though the funding is being massively slashed for them, I think it still net net, I would say. You know, you're better off going to the cheapest possible state school that you can get into than not, because your student debt won't be astronomical like it'll be if you go to someplace that costs you sixty grand a year or something. You know what I mean? I guess that's true. And plus, like, you know, if if your boss is somebody like me who was pretty much a slacker and just barely got through school, uh, 
I don't really care what school you went to. Like, if I'm reviewing your resume, <laughs> like, I, I, whatever school you went to, I probably haven't heard of it, no matter how good it was. So I don't know. I don't care. I have to imagine that's probably true of many of the, like, mid-level and high-level bosses and tech companies, especially smaller companies run by younger people. I have to imagine that uh, many when, of them are you, being run by slackers. Once you get to a certain size, though, they do the stupid filtering of, like, they just want a degree for you. You know, the, the first level HR pass is just filtering in anybody who doesn't have a degree in something vaguely related. And, you know, that's that's stupid. You could say that's not the way you should run a company. But once companies reach a certain size, they start doing stupid things, and that's one of them. That's Yeah, yeah I guess I guess if – well, although this is probably true in most tech jobs. If you have to if, – if you want a job at a place that has an HR department, you're better off – making something that they can buy the company <laughs> you know like they, you have a better chance of them buying your startup than you do of getting through the hr department's automatic filters and all the keyword filtering and the recruiters and all that crap well i mean most people don't that's the thing most people don't go through that gauntlet most people get into companies like that because they know someone who's there right. or you know they they someone inside the company you know starts to know them online even if they just follow them on twitter or something and you you bypass some or all of that idiotic process by someone inside the company going yeah no no just bring him in we just want we actually want to interview him and that short circuits the the idiocy you know what i mean yeah and that's how people get hired you know the referrals friends stuff like that and those type of things i mean i i don't think i don't think i've ever gotten a job by like just going through the the front door maybe maybe once in my life i got a job by just going through the front door and every other time it's like you you know someone inside the company or you get to know someone inside the company. You know someone who knows someone and then you bypass all of that BS and that's how you get your interview, you know, instead of having to jump through the stupid hurdles and pass keyword filters and, you know, all that stuff. <laughs> Actually, the, 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 how I got my job, which, which became Tumblr, was exactly just applying. Like, David posted a Craigslist ad looking for programmers and I responded and that was... <laughs> That's how I got that job. Uh, see, I don't think I've ever gotten a job that way. And by the way, a uh, real-time follow-up as per Twitter, not the chat room. I'm disappointed in the jackals. Uh, useless chat room. I know. Can seriously. we call them jackals because this isn't 5 by 5 Maybe okay. we, should have, we should have our Heathens? own term. Heathens? I never liked calling the 5 by 5 people jackals either, and I won't call these people jackals either. It's disrespectful. These awesome, They're our friends. These awesome friends in the chat room let us down already. But uh, Jason Deering in Twitter said, I was a freshman in 97. It wasn't mandated then. It was recommended. And so I quickly looked. And according to tech, it wasn't until 98. Uh, and since 98, each coming undergraduate student had been required to own a personal computer, blah, blah, blah. So real-time follow-up. But uh, no, I've never gotten a job. Uh, to my knowledge, uh, or to my recollection, I've never gotten a job just by cold calling someone. It's always been a friend of a friend or something along those lines that has got me in the door. So I'm a, I'm a little surprised, Marco, that that. And I think I knew that story, but I'm a little surprised that's how you ended up. At well, that was a fluke. I mean, like my my first job, even that, like my first job out of college at Vivisimo, even that was a friend already worked there and got me an interview. Like it, it was. Like it's it's so much more important with who you know the the Davidville that became Tumblr job that was a fluke I mean that that doesn't really ever happen uh, that was totally a fluke I don't think he had an HR department that you were bypassing either <laughs> not at all exactly I mean that's like he we he emailed you know I emailed from the ad he requested a code sample I showed him some PHP code I had written that's what he was looking for and uh, that was it and then he mailed me two books on Ruby on Rails and said you start in a few weeks get up to speed on this stuff. And that, <laughs> that was it. But I think, I think one of the reasons that worked, one of the reasons that that was a totally lucky break for me, is that he didn't really know what he was doing. 
So he didn't know that you're supposed to go through all these, you know, all this crazy process and filtering and collect a billion resumes, like all that stuff that everyone else does because they, they know that's how it's done. David didn't know that. Like David, you know, he was a young kid when he, when he hired me. I didn't know that really, but he, like I had to tell him about things like holidays. Like he really didn't <laughs> know about how things are done in the, in the pro work world because he was never really in it uh, except working for himself, by himself. So, you know, that, that was a lucky break. But I think if you, if you don't have a college degree or if you have a crappy college degree uh, or if you have, I think my final GPA was something like a 2.3 or something. It was a terrible GPA. If you have like a terrible GPA like me, uh, I, I think you have a way better chance of getting into companies like that that are being run by basically inexperienced young people um, or, who, or, or companies who are just so desperate that, <laughs> that they just need anybody who walks in the door, but you don't usually want those jobs. But like, I, you know, the companies that are run by young people, like the startups um, or, and consultancies often and everything like that, I feel like it's so much easier to get a job there because you're more likely to run into somebody like David who doesn't really know how things are supposed to be done in the ways that would rule you out. All right. So, what else are we talking about? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> all right then. This would be uh, a good time to break for our first sponsor. Actually, it would. Our first sponsor is a new sponsor this week. MailRoute. MailRoute is a secure hosted email filtering service that you can have up and running in minutes. There's no hardware or software to install. It is literally a mail filtering service. You change your MX record and your DNS to point to them, and here's what they do for you. They will filter out viruses, all known viruses they know about. They will filter those out before it even hits your mail server. Spam. They have really good spam filtering. They guarantee 99 point something. It's a, I forget the number. It's a really good uh, spam filtering level. They guarantee you that that it won't even reach your mail server. So your mail server, first of all, you have way less chance of getting any spam because there's another filter in front of you. And second of all, your mail server has to process way fewer messages. So if you're doing a high volume or if you're paying for the CPU load on that server or if you're just processing tons of mail and you know you, you can outsource it to MailRoute so easily, just literally you change your MX record and that's it. They have a free 15-day trial. Go check it out. And seriously, look at their services. It's MailRoute.net, free 15-day trial, and you will never see, well, I don't know if they can guarantee never, but you will see way fewer spam emails getting through and so many known viruses will get filtered before it even reaches you or your network that it keeps you more secure so check out MailRoute today MailRoute.net and thank you very much to MailRoute for sponsoring the Accidental Tech Podcast you know what I like about them is that they knew the audience well enough to know that if you were to tell them right. to change an MX record, they're all going to nod their heads knowingly and say, yep, yep, totally understand. Oh, totally. I mean, that's, that's one of the advantages of having a geek audience and, and knowing geek products is that it's pretty easy to, uh, to just say that. And, and yeah, everyone knows. Like, and, and, and everyone knows what – everyone will know the kind of thing they do and why they might want them. And that's – that's a great sponsor for the show. Absolutely. Did you ever see a, an email denial of service attack? I saw one of those recently. No, that's pretty crazy. I, I've it. always, honestly, I, I don't host my own email because hosting email, as MailRoute knows, and as they, as they uh, solve for a lot of people, um, hosting email is such a pain because you can set it up and you think it's working. But once you start getting into the complexities of things like spam filtering, uh, being being blacklisted or black holed or whatever it is, gray listing, all the like all the crazy complexity that we've added to our mail infrastructure to usually in response to spam or security problems, uh, 
it makes hosting your own and getting your own mail delivered to other people reliably so difficult. Yeah, the, the graph I recently saw was showing like a uh, number of incoming mails per day and it was labeled with colors with, you know, one color for spam and one color for good mail. And you see mostly like it's like 50-50 ratio good mail spam. But those were tiny little slivers, like two pixels high. And then in the middle of the graph were two gigantic towers <laughs> that, that were like the height of the screen. <laughs> they were all the color of spam with like a little tiny frosting on the top of regular mail. And over the course of two <laughs> days, like the spam volume went up by like 10,000 X and then went back down again. And it's like that's – is that like a, a bot gone wild or a coordinated attack? Or that's the type of, you know, 10X, 100X, 1,000X volume that you just may, oh, guess what? Today your mail server is getting a bazillion spams. You don't know why. You can't control it. Yeah, not good. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, generally, the, the best wisdom I can tell the audience is don't host your own mail if you can help it because hosting your mail sucks. And that, that and this isn't even part of the mail route ad. Even they, they will help quite a bit in, in this regard. Um, this isn't even, you know, if you choose to use mail route or not, that's up to you. I think it's a cool service. Um, but whether or not you do that, do not host your own mail. That that is it is such a world of hurt to use a Steve Jobs or a bag of hurt. What was the Blu-ray bag of it's hurt? It's a bag of hurt. Yeah, yeah. Come, it's such a bag. bag of hurt. Uh, <laughs> you know, I not not to get all sad for a moment, but I really do miss Steve Jobs at times like when the Galaxy S4 comes out and it has an easy mode. You know, I would love Phil, to Phil know. Phil like, <laughs> will take a dig at that too. Don't worry. I, you know, because Steve was always so good about. These little quips that he would leak in an email or a comment somewhere or on the earnings call or something, somebody would ask him about some some competitor's stupid thing, and he would just tear them apart in like seven words. And I I really do miss like what what would he have to say about uh, especially what would he have to say about Google Glass? I mean that's well the, the, <laughs> the big thing about Steve Jobs is it's twofold. One, he was a person that a lot of people admired, and two, Apple as a company was and still is not the kind of company to have like oh you could you could just call them up and get some random obnoxious quote from some random VP like they're very controlled about their messaging. So you always want to hear what an admired person has to say about any topic, right? So that's one reason we're hanging on his every word. And the second thing is he was the only person in the entire organization who had the authority to make stupid ass comments like you <laughs> exactly could not, you could not get you couldn't get you couldn't call apple and say can you tell us what you guys think of the same you're never gonna get anyone on the phone no one will ever give you a line but if you're talking to steve jobs you never know, know who's gonna stop him and most of the time he was very controlled and didn't say a thing but occasionally you'd get you'd push that one button and he'd be like you know what that thing is a piece of crap let me tell you why and you're like oh this is the stuff because you you could never get that any other way now now it's like Phil Schiller is going to come up and make a quip about easy mode and or whatever, you know, what, whatever thing that they're going to be showing for iOS 7 or new iPhones, they, they'll make like an offhanded quip about something else. But when the press gets him after the fact, he's just going to repeat his talking points. He's not going to go off on a, a three second diatribe about, you know, like the bag of hurt thing. That's not like a, a rehearsed talking point. That was like someone asked him about Blu-ray. And he said, "You know what? That stuff is crap." And oh, he was if that pissed. wasn't in, if that wasn't in the talking points, it's not going to be. It's not going to come out of Tim Cook's mouth or Phil Schiller's mouth. Oh, he was the best when he fired from the hip, and he did it rarely. But when he did it, it was fantastic. See, I think a lot. Like I bet he had that phrase "bag of hurt" turning over in his head for weeks or months, and he was just waiting for a time to use it. Like well, I, mean, I, I, I bet he had like a nice arsenal of like what he thinks about X, and it you well, know, yeah. usually just didn't hear it. Yeah, they were they're discussed internally, and like what he, every, anyone who's had these conversations with him internally is going to be like, oh, he, he's giving greatest hits of the rants we've all had internally. But like <laughs> you know, normally, that stuff would just stay inside the company. But you know, he was the one guy who could 
let it out when he felt like it, just for the hell of it. Like, I always wonder how much stuff he does ad-libbing like that. Like, uh, one of the ones that comes to mind, I, I really hope someone writes a tell-all book about this stuff, was back when uh, he introduced the G5, and I think he said, like, and they're going to be at 3 gigahertz in a year. Someone in the chat room can correct me on the timelines, <laughs> yeah. right? And it's like, did, did someone from IBM tell him that? Or did he, did he go, you know what, screw them. They better be at 10, 3 gigahertz within a year, and I'm just going to say they're going to be, and if they're not, I'm going to blame them later. And everyone else is going to be like, well, I don't know, what are you going to do? <laughs> Steve Jobs says whatever the hell he wants. <laughs> exactly. All hey, right, so- speaking of Apple... Uh, you want to discuss this uh, WWDC situation? I mean, it's unfortunately, it's only going to be relevant mostly to our live listeners, of which there are now approximately uh, 220, um, which is kind of crazy to think about. But uh, it'll only probably be relevant to them because by the time this comes out, of course, it will be uh, – we're going to release this probably on Friday. So we will already have or not have our tickets. Well, we should oh, confidently God. predict what's going to happen so people can laugh at us in retrospect when they find out what actually did happen to us. That's a fair uh, point. Uh, so I will confidently predict that I will try my darndest to get a ticket, fail, and then go fetal for the rest of the week and weekend, crying miserably about how I didn't get a ticket. I still feel like I'm going to be able to get one. Like, what was it, two hours last year or something? If we're just if we're all there, you know, and, and Marco is, I'm starting to get on board with Marco's optimistic predictions. Like, look, they use it for iPhone orders. Way more people want an iPhone than want to go to WWC. And, 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 like, there are many assumptions in that statement, one of which is that this is the same system as used as iPhones, which I don't necessarily believe. But, like, hey, you know, it could happen. Right. The servers could stay up. We could, and if they do, presumably everyone who's there sitting there at like one p.m. going click, 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 like all. Don't you think all those people are going to get tickets? I hope yeah, but so. the problem is, you know, like, I believe I don't remember the gentleman's name, and I couldn't pronounce it even if if I remembered it. But the guy who did the WWDC alerts that that you could jump the line if you paid money. Oh, that, um, that poor guy. Yeah, or all well, those poor people. <laughs> yes. Well, b- beside that, yeah, I don't I believe... feel sorry for the guy at all. I think he made out quite nicely, and this is <laughs> well, probably the true. last year oh, he ever will. Well, he's that's refunding true. everyone's money, I assume. I don't know, <laughs> and I wouldn't. Yeah, thank, wow. <laughs> Email John. Uh, but no, anyway. Uh, I, I, crap! I totally lost my train of thought, and now we're doing it live. Well, you know, uh, and I would imagine that. I mean, so what Apple did today to recap for people listening in the far future is for I believe the first time ever. Um, because it's only been necessary for the last, I don't know, five years or so. But for the first time, Apple announced WWDC uh, and its its dates and its availability before the tickets were actually available to buy. And so they've said, basically, th- buy the tickets tomorrow at this time. And so it, it solves a lot of problems. It, in previous years, like last year, uh, two years ago, tickets sold out in about 12 hours. Last year, tickets sold out in about two hours. And... And last year, they, you know, the best time to release a press release um, in in the PR industry is about eight thirty in the morning. So Apple tends to uh, ship out all their press releases and, and their new product announcements, and they they tend to lift embargoes at like eight thirty one a.m. And generally, you want to do this. Not on Monday if you can help it because there's a lot of competition from things that built up over the weekend on Monday for coverage. So you don't want to compete with that. You also don't want to do it on Friday because on Friday, you're about to go into the weekend. A lot of people aren't paying attention and there's not going to be a lot of time to, to uh, announce or to, for people to write up like reactions. And they're going to have the weekend and the, then they'll forget about it. So generally, you want to do it early in the week but not Monday. So things are usually announced on Tuesdays or Wednesdays. And... So it was pretty easy to predict that the announcement of this conference 
was probably going to happen again, just like it did the year before, probably going to happen again at a few minutes after 8.30 in the morning on a Tuesday or Wednesday. And sure enough, it did. And, and it did it right after, uh, the day after the earnings call. And there's, there's, I don't know the details of this. There's the uh, SEC quiet period guidelines. And uh, I, I'm not qualified, and I, neither of you guys, as far as I know, none of us are qualified to talk about whether Apple is required to stay no. silent, but it, not, it sounds they're like not, they're, not, they're not required. It's, right. not, it's not even an SEC thing. It's just something that people do. It's like a guideline it's or a the, practice. Yeah, it's, right. just a, it's a de facto thing as far as I know. I don't even think the SEC recommends it. It's just what everybody does. And once everybody does it, by not doing it, you would stick out. But I don't think the SEC tells you that you should or even recommends that you do. Well, but it's kind of it's, – it's almost requisite. You're right. It's not required, but it's almost requisite. And my dad actually works for investor relations for a really, really big company. And so he's qualified know, to talk about it. So he would be qualified. And, and I, he's been doing this for many, many years, including the time I, I lived uh, with him when I was in like high school and whatnot. And my understanding is that if you say anything shortly before an, an earnings announcement, it could reasonably be construed to – to affect the result of those earnings. And so that would be releasing insider information before the company has released their earnings. And thus, it, the logical thing to do is for all these companies to just shut the crap up for like two or three weeks. I don't remember how long it is, but some duration of time right before earnings. So this way, there are no slip-ups. And so to your point, Marco, it seems reasonable that even though WWDC on the surface doesn't seem like it would affect the stock price or anything like that it for the last couple of years it's been announced the day after their earnings announcement right and so it was it was fairly easy to predict that the announcement was going to happen this morning but nobody was predicting and, and i heard a few rumors and i think a few other people did too but nobody was really predicting that this would happen where the announcement was indeed at the predicted time, but uh, the the on sale date of the tickets is going to be tomorrow, and, and it solves a lot of problems. One one of the problems with last year's that people complain about a lot is because it was eight thirty in the morning Eastern, it really screwed the Pacific Coast because by the time they all woke up, it was sold out. So it was it was kind of rough on on people in, in the Pacific time zone, and then of course all time zones around the world too. You know if 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 8.30 a.m. Eastern, which is GMT minus 5, is in the middle of the night for you and your time zone, um, you're kind of screwed. So th- this was a really good way to do it, I think. You know, p- people were specul- speculating may- maybe they would have a lottery in place or something. I'm actually very glad they don't have that because I know I would lose it because I always lose drawings and raffles and things. So- <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. Yeah. So, uh, so you know, I- I- I'm glad there's not a lottery thing, or at least at least they aren't all lottery sales. But... Well, you're glad now. Will you be glad? Right. No, lottery is terrible because you like you want some system that is it's not you don't want it to be random. You you want some system that has some kind of like merit based selection process. Even if that merit is <laughs> who who is who wants it the most? Who right. is willing to wake up in the middle of the night? Who is willing to set up little things to monitor? Like maybe that's not the best way to do it, but like that's the way anything you know, anything in life is. Who, who wants it the most? And if those people get it first and you're going to complain, no fair, uh, I don't want to stay up in the middle of the night. Well, I guess you don't want it as much as that other person exactly. wants to go there. You know, you know what I mean? And like, that is so much better than random because then you and your friends can band together and be idiots and stay up in the middle of the night on the other side of the world and get tickets and you can all go together. Whereas if it's a lottery, maybe you get to go, but your two friends don't. And then you have a worse experience and it's just stupid. Right. So 
we don't know yet. You know, we will know in less than 24 hours uh, whether the three of us are going or not, or whether some subset of us are going. But yeah, the problem is like you know the old system was it it, it gave more room for people who really, really cared about it to have an advantage because we would be predicting the times and we would be waking up early every day, the, every day in April, basically. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, we, we would be, we would be the ones like setting up monitoring systems and hammering the page to see when it changes. So certainly, um, you know, now what they've done is made it so that you don't have to be paying that much attention to have a chance at it. So it is more fair in the sense that it will give way more people who, who are interested in going a chance at getting tickets, but at the expense of crazy nerds like us who... Oh, wait, somebody yelled at us. We're not supposed to say nerds. Crazy geeks like us uh, who wait, really want it badly. Yeah, some guy on Twitter. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't agree with him, but okay. Um, no, we're we're going to keep saying nerds. Okay. Really, so, forget that. I, I think you're qualified to, to set the word exactly, on that. Exactly. So, <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> we, uh, you know, nerds like us are now at a slight disadvantage that there's going to be way more competition from people who care a little bit less about it uh, or who, or who would have otherwise been awake at that time anyway. So uh, we'll all, see what All happens. we're doing, all, the only reason it's slightly worse for us is that, uh, like, it's it brought a few more people into the fold. People who really do want to go, but like their alerting thing didn't work or they were asleep, but they didn't hear their phone go off. Like those people who kind of unfairly got screwed last year, they are now competing with us. But I think well, that's, that's reasonable. You know? It's more than that though, because it, when I went two years ago, when I went in 2011, uh, my, my then employer who, uh, who I don't work for anymore, <laughs> um, that my then employer was probably going to fund my trip. And when the tickets went on sale, I needed to go get final approval. Marco, you've spoken about this at some point or another in the past. I needed to go get final approval from my boss in order to spend a whole bunch of money and get it reimbursed. Right. And now all those people who are in that situation, they've done that today. So, and the point I was going to make earlier when I lost my train of thought is I thought that the gentleman who did the, the pay to jump the line alert system said he had like 20,000 people in his alert queue and there are something to the order of, uh, from our friends in the chat room, 5,000 tickets that you can buy. And yeah. so even if, even if it's the same system that handles millions of iPhone orders when they are uh, brand new, you're still talking about a whole crudload of people trying to buy for 5,000 seats. And that's just, I I'm really scared that's not going to end well for me. Yeah, that's well, actually that's a bigger ratio than I would have expected because you got to figure like not everybody who wants to buy a ticket even sign up for that service. You know, th there's probably some percentage of them who did, but I don't know. Well, the good thing is that this year Apple says they're going to release the videos during the conference, so them they won't be live streamed. I assume, but like maybe you can figure like the day after or something. So and also you don't have it's not they don't do the idiotic thing where the only people who get the videos were the people who actually attended WWDC, which was incredibly stupid. So now, if you were just a paid developer, they just say a registered developer. I assume they mean a paid developer for either iOS yeah. or the Mac. Uh, and you want to see WWC sessions. I assume that while WWC is going on, during that week, they will slowly be doling out downloads on you know the same way they always do on the iTunes, you know, what is it? It's not iTunes University. But anyway, the, the place where you can download videos through iTunes of WWC, only they'll come out as WWC happens instead of having to wait a week or two weeks, which even a week or two weeks isn't a big deal. But like this takes some of the sting out and hopefully will discourage people. I try to discourage people on Twitter, discourage people <laughs> from it's expensive. You have to, you know, if you don't live in the area, you have to, you know, 
buy a, a hotel for a week and you have to buy the ticket, which is not cheap. Oh, yeah, and it ends up being like $3,000. It's, it's a lot of money, so stay home. And you get almost all of the experience uh, from home. I just watch the videos. And that, like, if I don't get a ticket, it's not going to be the end of the world for me because that's will be what I do. I may still have to take a week off from work, but that's... <laughs> so it, so you, know. you would take a week off of work to sit in your house and watch these videos. Yeah, and like, and the thing about that is you would think that that would work out fine, but the main problem is that the videos would end up being released. Well, I don't know. I don't know how what kind of lag they are, but like, the amount of time I can dedicate to watch WWC videos is much smaller because you got to get the kids out of the house in the morning and the kids come home from school. I mean, you know, it's oh, like yeah. when I mean, you're at WWC, you can just dedicate your, you know, heads down whole life to, uh, uh, to just WWC. Oh, I mean, like so far, every year that, that I've gone, I've gone for, I think, four years now, something like that. Um, every year, there have been a few sessions where, like, they were double booked against something else I wanted to go to. So I, I made a note and I told myself, I'm going to go and watch this video when it comes out of this other one that I'm not going to see now. Yeah, and did you and ever I, actually I do that? I never do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think I might have watched like two or three videos after the fact total. And usually that was only because I was about to or already coding against some API that the videos were about. And I wanted to like look something up or go back to, to a video of a session I already did see live to remember like, oh yeah, how did they do this one thing? Like the scroll view session, I always go back to that because they have it's full of crazy good stuff. And uh, you know, like the, 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 there's times where I'll go back for, for reference purposes, but I'm never going to like make two hours and sit down and watch a couple of these things. I've got the WWDC 2003 DVD set <laughs> to my, to my right. The, one of, I kept it because it came in a metal box. I don't know if people remember that. And, you know, like, and the first WWDC I went to was two years ago. So I was never actually able to go, but I either knew people who went or knew people who could have gone, but got the DVD set and said, as part of the, do you remember Marco, were you, I guess you probably weren't around when they had the, uh, I'm going to get the name wrong. I think it was, uh, there was different ADC levels. It was select and premiere. Yeah, I came in right as that was about to end, so I did see it, and it was, it was like five hundred, a thousand, and three thousand, something like that. I think it was just uh, select was five hundred and premiere. I think it was premiere. Someone in the chat room can correct me. Uh, and that was like four digits. I don't remember what it was, but what you got was like one WWDC ticket, and you got the DVDs, and you got like it was you got lots of stuff. Uh, and so anyway, I got I got and you got a big hardware discount. And yeah, and oh, and a big—that's the whole reason we used to do these things. Friends right, and I, because you we get like four hundred bucks off. Yeah, we'd go in together and have a bunch of different hardware discounts, and that was that's the way I bought all our Macs was the hardware discounts. But anyway, I had that DVD set, and those were back in the days when I would get those DVD sets, and I would watch every single session, or just or just every single one. I'd go through them in order. Uh, and these days, when I actually attend, I don't obviously do that because a lot of them I was there for, so I don't have to watch them again. But I will go back and look at the ones that I, I didn't see. Now, the only thing I'll start skipping now is like, now that it's like, there's a track on like web development. Well, I did watch a couple of those from last year, but like, I'm not going to watch those. And even some of the iOS ones I'll skip because I'm mostly in there for the Mac OS 10 stuff. But it used to be right. when it was just Mac and there wasn't like a track about how to do CSS or the high DPI images or other esoteric things that I that, you know may not really be in Apple's wheelhouse and you could just learn about or may have already learned about otherwise. I would just watch every single session. And that sounds boring, but like I find... Maybe I'm when I get as I'm getting older, I'm, I'm I have less time for that because the, the kids take a lot of time and everything. But I used to just that's the way I would consume things when I was getting into a hobby or something. I would read everything there was to read about that hobby. When I was learning Unix, I just bought O'Reilly books and just read them from cover to cover. Uh, and today that, you read toaster manuals of toasters you don't own. <laughs> those are much shorter. But I, I read Unix Power Tools twice. I remember <laughs> going to getting the end of that and going back to the beginning and reading through it again. That's a, that's not a small book. 
Well, but you make an interesting point, Marco, and I know you said that jokingly, but it, I really shouldn't say this on the show. Well, actually, it will come out after the fact, so it doesn't matter. But part of the uh, part of the draw of WWDC is the experiences you have outside of the sessions, and the sessions are unbelievable. In my two years of going to WWDC, I've only skipped three or four sessions, or three or four slots, I guess I should say. And and some of the best experiences I've had, though, are networking with people. Like, for example, I met David Smith there, and David uh, just r- pointed out in the chat room that the gentleman whose first name I don't know how to pronounce, but his surname is Prendeville, who ran the, um, the WWDC alert thing, apparently he only had 600 sub- subscribers, which is a lot better than the 20,000 I apparently invented out of thin air. So oh, thank good. you, David. Um, so th- maybe, the doomsday, yeah, that, maybe the doomsday scenario isn't quite so bad. Well, but I remember, I think that 20,000 number, I remember last year when, I don't know if they did, if, did the WBDC alerts Twitter yeah, thing? It, w- it was oversubscribed. Yeah, that, the, the WBDC alerts Twitter thing had something like 20,000. I, I forget the exact number, but it, w- it, was, it was in that range, you know, and, and so... I thought it was eight. But thousands have good memory. Yeah, 8, maybe but it was, you, it, you it was more. Right. It was more than the tickets were available. Yeah, right. like I, th- I think last year they sold something like fifty five hundred tickets, and 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 they've they've been at that number pretty comfortably or near that number pretty comfortably for enough time that we can be pretty sure that that's roughly what they think the maximum should be, and and certainly like going going there for the last few years, you can see in Moscone, uh, it is packed full. And oh, yeah. it is so hard. Like it's just a line after line after line. Like it, you, you get out of a session. If if you if you want to get a popular session, if you want to get in there, even you know you you have to get there like a half hour before it starts and stand in some long line, which means you've skipped you still the might not get before. it right. I mean, it's it's really quite difficult uh, to to maneuver around the conference with the number they have now. They they it's, certainly can't sell more tickets and keep it in that venue. It's still not the uh, PAX level of waiting because I don't. I find that you don't usually have to actually skip the previous session. You'll just get a crappier seat. Whereas with PAX, you have to skip the previous two sessions to get in line. I think <laughs> you actually want to go in. The only thing you have to skip sessions for, I think, is if you want to get in the lunch session, like the J.J. Abrams one. I was in line for that for like an hour and a half. Right. See, I always miss the crazy good uh, Friday oh, lunch session here. because I always have to fly out at like one p.m. Yep. Same here. Well, why do you do that to yourself? I I book my tickets. To, I I hate traveling. Well, because so the I need next an entire day to prepare <laughs> my mind and body for travel. So you you stay on the Friday night. Yes, no, always. Uh, see, the, I don't want to stay the extra night, and I, for the love of all that's good and holy, I do not want to do a red eye. Yeah, no, I, 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 I never do a red eye, eye but like I want I want my all, fl- all my flights to be at noon. <laughs> and so, so did, I, you know. That's that's the way. I, it's not always possible, but that's what I'm shooting for. The entire day is just dedicated to travel, and I don't want to wake up early in the morning. So David Smith just put in the chat room, God, he's my best friend. Uh, he just said that WW, the, uh, the original WWDC alerts, this is the unpaid, completely free one, was about 9,000. Look at that. Uh, I, I win. Year. That's actually the pretty showcase promising. Showcase showdown. And, you know, and- <laughs> Without going over. <laughs> Does that mean you win both of the showcases then? No, it wasn't within $100. Oh, darn. Our second sponsor for the show this week is another new sponsor. It is Hover. Hover Hover.com. Hover is a simple domain registrar. Now, I love these are both geek sponsors that we have this week. It's awesome. Uh, Of course, the geek show. Now, let me tell you, um, you know, Hover sent me some bullet points, and I I can read some of them here and there. But uh, the fact is they know. I I basically told them, you know, they asked, you know, "Do do you have enough to read for the ad? And I said, yes, because I'm a Hover customer. And I've previously used other domain registrars, period. That was it, because <laughs> uh, it's really hard to find anybody who likes their domain registrar a lot. Um, and the reason why is because it's generally a terrible business. It, it's full of uh, weird 
just like constant commodity bargain basement pricing at, at followed by various oftentimes really sleazy ways to make additional money for the registrar on top of that. And yeah, I'm not going to name names here because who cares, but you all know the other registrars I'm talking about. Like there was one, uh, not the elephant one, but, but there, there was one that if you searched for a name just to see if it was available, they would register it for like, they would, they would hold it for like two weeks. So that if you still wanted that name, you had to go through them and pay their extra high price for it. Like the domain registrars do sleazy stuff like that all the time. Crazy upselling tactics. It's terrible. Hover is clean. It's simple. And it's a powerful domain name buying and management site. It is really great. It's run by the people. This, this audience will know this. Remember two cows, the ultimate collection of windows shareware. I believe that's what it stood for, right? Is that, I don't remember what it's Casey. For, I mean, I John won't it. know, but you should know. Oh, I remember. Well, I, I don't know about Windows Shareware. Well, I, I knew you wouldn't know. Cows, though. Right? Okay. So they've been around forever. It says somewhere here since '94. They've been around since '94. That, that's that's the year I got my first computer for reference. But uh, they they've been around forever. They've they've been running this site called Hover. It is fantastic. Go to hover.com/atp. That's hover.com/atp, and that will get you a discount off their prices. I think it's something like ten percent. It's pretty great. Um, you know, they don't hide functionality behind weird things to make it hard to find. They don't like they don't heavy handedly upsell you or cross sell you to various other crap they sell. It's just really simple. It is what you'd expect a domain registrar to be if you designed it. Like and if you hire a designer, <laughs> if you're me. <laughs> so uh go check out Hover. I really can't recommend it enough. Um I've I, I have been with a lot of domain registrars over the years because I've been registering domains since like two thousand and uh I've it, it takes a lot for me to move because usually it's the kind of thing where like you know you, you let things auto renew every year because it works and it's not getting in your way until you go try to do something like if you go try to change a DNS record do you go do, to go use MailRoute or something like that like you you go try to make a DNS entry or buy a new domain or edit one of your old domains with most registrars you just want to pull your teeth out because it is so it's it's just such a terrible experience using their control panels and everything but then you think oh I'll move someday and then you close it and you forget. And every every time you go in there, you want to blow up the world, but you know there's not that like pushing need to, because you don't really know. You know, moving things sucks, so you don't really want to know. Hover actually offers a moving service. It's pretty awesome. Like, and and you know they they will you can like talk to somebody on the phone. They'll move stuff for you. It's pretty great. I know I'm all over the place with this read, but it's hard with with you know my first read of Hover. I've been using this company for I think over a year now. Yeah, actually, because all my stuff's been renewing recently, so it's been over a year and. Uh, it's it's just a great site. Go register your domains at Hover. Go to hover.com slash ATP, and uh, you'll credit us, and uh, they'll know you came from here. They'll sponsor our show more in the future, and they'll be even more awesome. So uh, thank you very much to Hover for sponsoring ATP. So before we leave the uh, WWDC topic, are either of you two gentlemen going to go if you don't get a ticket? Like, John, you said... In all likelihood, you'll probably take off the time, but you'll probably stay at home. Yeah, I can't. I can't uh, justify going if I don't. But what would I do for the week? Like, although, I, like, you, like you said, that like one of the reasons that I am actually going is that I do have interactions with people outside the sessions. But it's mostly so that I can have like dedicated time where there's no distractions and no other demands on my time. I'm just there to attend sessions, uh, and and secondarily, and a close second is. If after a session is over, 
I just need one thing clarified, and it's not clear from the notes. The guy who gave the presentation is at the front of the room, and I can go ask him. Uh, and then, you know, third is the thing that everyone says, oh, all the people you meet outside and everything. Like, And that's definitely true as well, but, like, from for business purposes, I guess, for, like, research purposes – uh, it depends on who I'm meeting with, I guess. If I'm uh, if I'm meeting with uh, big fancy people uh, in super secret, then yeah, I get a lot of value out of those meetings. But I, I can't bank on that. I can't guarantee that I'm going to have a private meeting with Tim Cook when I'm there. So uh, <laughs> you can buy one get coffee. So I wouldn't mm-hmm. go there with no ticket, hoping that it'll, I'll just happen to catch you know uh, Craig Federighi on the steps of Moscone and uh, and <laughs> bend his ear for 15 minutes because that's probably not going to happen, and I can't you know. I like, and more importantly, like, how could I justify it as a, a business expense for the purpose of writing my review if I don't even have a ticket? So that's kind of bogus. So yeah, if yeah. I don't, if I don't get a ticket, and if I can't finagle a ticket through whatever crazy, please somebody out there from Apple <laughs> help me, love me, type of system, then I'll just stay at home and watch the videos. You know? Yeah, I don't know what I would do. I mean, I hopefully we won't have to think about this because we'll get tickets. But um, if I don't get a ticket. I might still see like I I would have a, a higher chance of going um, based on what you just said. I would I'd be more likely to go than you, but I I still wouldn't I I wouldn't say right now yes I'm definitely going like I haven't like I, I have a hotel reservation because it's totally refundable, um, but I haven't booked a plane yet because like I'm not going to book a flight you know I'll I'll pay the extra couple hundred bucks that whatever the price is raised to tomorrow if I get the ticket rather than buy the plane ticket today on the off chance I don't get a ticket tomorrow. Yeah, we should tell everyone about that because I think that was a, a good uh, three-way triumph of all of us having the wherewithal and guts to actually buy our hotel tickets, uh, what, a month ahead of time? Yeah, we bought them in March. Yeah, and I forget, who, who, I forget who initiated that, but like you, you always hear, like you can always look at the schedule and, and ballpark it and you kind of know, yeah, it's probably going to be like this week. Like every year that's been the case where you could look at that, but it's one thing to look at the schedule and know that. And it's another thing to actually pull the trigger and get the tickets, but like I forget who pointed out, but like uh, you know, hotel tickets are refundable to 24 hours ahead of time, so there's no risk in doing it, except if it's some sort of hotel that has an annoying website that makes refunds annoying, or you don't have any confidence that they're going to correctly process it and they're going to charge you anyway, <laughs> even though you don't show up, right? So if you go, if you have a good hotel with a reasonable website, it's worth doing. And then you know, so hey, we had our hotel reservations a month in advance, and they are actually were actually cheaper than even the Apple special we're reserving a block of rooms for you rates. Well, and so to answer the the question I asked of the two of you, I don't know what I'm going to do if and when I don't get a ticket. I've already established I'll go fetal for about three or four days. But a part of me thinks it's worth going to network. It's worth going to see people, um, to see the David Smiths and and the Jim Dalrymples of the world, and and certainly to see Marco or John or whoever is out there. Um, But I don't know if I would go for the whole week. Um, our good friend David Smith, friend of the show David Smith, has said he's going, and I believe he's intending to go for the whole week. I, I don't know what I'm going to do, and I'm I'm such a wimp and so indecisive, I can't figure out what I'm going to do. But maybe Marco and I, maybe we'll commiserate, maybe we'll celebrate. I don't know. What would uh, you What would you do the whole? Like, I guess the only advantage is that you could you could stay out all night, which is not my thing anyway. But if it's your thing, you can do that and then sleep during the day instead of having to get up for a second. But, <laughs> but even then, like at that. I guess if you just want to go and like socialize with people, but I, I don't. If you're, you wouldn't be getting anything done, getting much done from a business perspective, unless you're going there to try to like, I need a partner for my new venture, or I'm trying to, uh, you know, recruit a designer to help me, and I want to talk to people and meet people. Like maybe I don't. I I guess I am the wrong person to ask about 
what kind of business value you can get out of social interactions. But uh, you know, I unless you have money falling out of your ears and you don't have any, because that's a week of vacation time if you have a job and this is not part of your job. You know, that's what else could you use that week for? What else could you use that thousand, right. Right. really thousands of dollars for? You know, it's it's a tough call. You know, you're absolutely right. But if now this isn't a like an oranges to oranges comparison, but if I wasn't at WWDC, what was it, 2011? Then uh, firstly, I wouldn't have met you, and secondly, I wouldn't have been there with Marco and Merlin and uh, a friend of mine, Eric Scherter, to to buy you a toaster. So there, th- there's something to be said for these social interactions. It's clearly yeah. important. That was one day, though. Like I know a lot of people who aren't. If they say, if I don't get tickets, I'll go, but not for the whole week, and that makes sense right. to me because you want to be there for like the keynote excitement and the few, the maybe you'll arrange, but you'll arrange with people like, oh, we should go out tonight, and then we should the other group of friends should go out the next night, you know, and then you see the few people you're going to see, and then you're out of there. Well, that's why I'm saying maybe I wouldn't go for a whole week. Maybe I, and I'm making this up, and maybe I'd go, you know, arrive Sunday stay there Monday, Tuesday, and fly back Wednesday or something like that. Yeah. I got tired just thinking about WWC. This is, once again, <laughs> you know, intro, introvert versus extrovert. Does the thought of uh, you know seeing all these wonderful people who you love make you feel exhausted? You may be an introvert. Oh, I'm excited. I, I really hope, because like, yeah, I mean, the more I think about it, the more I think, like, if I didn't have a ticket, I would, I would probably still go, but I but think it would, week? I think it would suck. You know, like, because most conferences, like South by Southwest, is a joke. You know, like the the, the sessions in South by Southwest are terrible. The uh, you know, the, the they're mostly panels where people just read Twitter and and you know BS their way through. It. And it's just as an audience member, it's it's pretty hard. It's pretty unusual to to be in a South by Southwest session that was worth your time. Um, they they do exist, but they're they're certainly the minority. And uh, so that but that conference is all about drinking and partying and socializing. And so. If you're going to South by Southwest without a ticket, you'll still get almost all of the value of that conference. But WWDC, for me at least, is not that way. It, I mean, it does have drinking and partying, but for me, the, the great value of that conference is the sessions and and even the socializing that happens in Moscone. Like that, I, I get usually yeah, that's a good point. Usually, I get more socializing done in like the chair areas of Moscone between sessions or like if there's one schedule gap or nothing's really that great i'll go sit down and you know answer email and stuff and talk to people there and you want to know why because you can actually hear people right exactly like (laughs) like the the social environment of yelling at at a bar while everyone's drunk is really not that you're not you're not going to get the best development advice from your favorite developer when he's had three drinks in him like maybe you'll get the best the best juicy tips and rumors and you'll have the best trash talking but like that's the thing. If you come out of a session, like you know, if some session that is about scroll views and something, and you're you know you're sitting next to someone who you want to talk to, or you see someone in three rows away, when you come out of the session, that's the perfect opportunity to discuss scroll view performance with a developer who you're lucky enough to meet in real life, because that's in the front of their mind. Whereas if you come up to them in a bar later and want to discuss scroll view performance, they're going to be like, it's not the time for that now, you know? Right. Exactly. It's the time for beer. Yeah, and and trash talking whoever you want to trash talk at that time, and doing you know complaining about Apple or you know or App Review or whatever. All the other there's plenty of other things you can do as well. But there is something to be said for like it's like an academic type context where you're learning about your craft and your business, and that's valuable. And like you know, I'm a lot of people ask me like why I go because I'm not developing an application, but you know I'd go for my review obviously. But if if you're actually making an application, I meet so many developers, both iOS and the Mac, who are like. 
this one session has made this entire thing worth it for me because now, oh my God, I can't wait to, I can't wait to grab my laptop, run back down to a chair and implement this thing that they just showed because it's going to make my life so much easier. And I never realized that it was so, so much better way to do this. You know what I mean? And as long as it's not an iCloud session, that usually turns out pretty well for that developer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm sorry. I prolonged the WWDC talk for a long time. I, I I feel like we're probably good here. And so you'll see via Twitter whether or not any of the three of us got tickets. And I'm sure if, if I don't, I'll be complaining and moaning like a like a baby for weeks. So <laughs> let's hope let's hope for the good of of the nation and the world that I actually score tickets. If we, if we don't get tickets, Casey, we'll just sit in a Google Hangout together and stare at QuickTime videos synchronized. Uh, you might be joking. I'm all in. <laughs> it's I like that totally scene in When there. Harry Met Sally. We'll have the split screen. We'll both watch the, the same session at the same time while laying in bed. Again, you think you might be joking, but I'm not. I'm there. The funny thing is it would actually be fairly productive of us to just like arrange like an East Coast meetup for like one week in August where we all just get together and watch the videos back to back. That's true. <laughs> we'll go to the Arment compound. There you go. That is, that's true. The, the we can, stay, we can is, stay in the guest houses, right, Mark? Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> on the estate. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> the, the crummy thing is, it's actually, Marco is in the middle of the three of us, but what are you, like two or three hours from John and eight from me? Yeah, six or middle eight is me? generous. I'm way closer to John than you. <laughs> oh, well. That's your fault anyway. for living down there. Yeah, yeah but you have, you have 70 mile per hour speed limit roads in your state, so. No, I think that's get, just west, right? No, no, it's here too. In, in uh, full Virginia, except, real Virginia, and in, in in the real Virginia, email Marco. Uh, but also consider that nobody. We're out of state. Do you think anybody in West Virginia listening listening to this podcast right now? Probably not. I mean, also, let's be Marco. realistic here. Uh, but also consider we are not a state; we're a Commonwealth. I believe, like Massachusetts, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I don't I get. Don't, it, I don't know whatever. what the difference is either. Neither it's just so I. it's just so the residents can say that to people. Seriously, so we can be obnoxious like that. Exactly. We're like the hipsters of I don't know. You and your states. Yeah, we we were commonwealths before we were even states. <laughs> anyway, all right. What else do we talk about tonight? Or are we done? Do you, well, I I think we have we can do like another fifteen minutes or so if you want. Um, do you think do we want to talk about earnings or do you want to talk about something else? I I think the earnings thing has a couple of interesting interesting things about it, but not not a whole lot. First of all, um, I'm glad that the stock price didn't totally just plummet. It seems to have stayed roughly the same, which is itself, you know, an embarrassing level. But I was expecting doom here because, you know, we've talked about in the past, and I've blogged a lot about how I think, I think Apple is kind of stuck in this, in this uh, rush of extremely negative momentum in the public eye, and and especially in the press. But I, I hear it from regular people too, so it's it's certainly um, getting out there. And you know, I, I have to think like. They're probably like people are going to be crapping on Apple publicly uh, and and expressing doom and and pessimism about the company and its products and its future. Uh, I, I was thinking that would be like a year or two long cycle, and I was thinking also, you know, and this is not investment advice because none of us are qualified. But one of the reasons why I sold all my Apple shares um, back whenever it was January or February, I sold them at like four sixty something, and. One of the reasons why oh it was it was like soon after the uh, holiday earnings call, and the stock took a dive on that call, and I realized you know holiday earnings are great usually and they were you know they it was it's always the highest quarter of of the year and uh so I figured that's probably the best news they're going to announce for a long time, possibly the whole year uh at least as far as the market is concerned 
And so I figure if the stock took a dive on what was probably their best news day of the year, uh, I don't think I want to hold it for the rest of the year. And, and so far, that's proven to be fairly good, um, a fairly good theory. It's panned out. But, uh, you know, with this, I was thinking, like, the quarter after holiday earnings is always kind of soft. And we'd be hear- we, we'd been hearing all these rumors about how it was, they were having way lower demand than expected, and they were possibly having, like, oversupply of components. And, it, I mean, it, it sounded bad, like, leading up to this. The rumors were pretty bad. And then they released the earnings, and they're actually pretty decent. And, uh, you know, it's not like the holiday quarter, but uh, they beat their own guidance, uh, as they usually do. And uh, and even Wall Street didn't seem disappointed by it. Like they, well, this was supposed to be the different quarter where they were saying, we're not going to give you the guidance that we're guaranteed to beat. This time we're giving you a range, and we say we're going to fall within that range. And, and the they fell just they, above it, right? Yeah, right. And the fact that they were still out of that range would be making me think if I was an analyst like, all right, we're on to your game now. You still right. gave us you still gave us an estimate that you knew you could beat, but like, or it could be that they just had you know better things happen. But, but I you know I just you know it was just kind of like a wash. But the, the thing about that idea that Apple is like doom and gloom about Apple, I feel like the entire industry in some respects is in not so much doom and gloom or a death spiral, but like in a holding pattern because we say we notice Apple these things. But take a look at have you been reading the Samsung Galaxy S four reviews? Yeah, they're really mediocre. Right. And and so the same it's the same the, the attitude is basically from consumers and from the market who cares about the market. But from consumers like what have you done for me lately? Exactly. Uh, iPhone, iPad and even like Samsung, the shining star. Uh-oh. Apple's in the doldrums. Samsung's no, the same thing with Samsung. What have you done for me lately? Samsung is the Galaxy S3, uh, the Galaxy S4 is the S4, you know, so much better than the S3 and they're like, "Oh, I guess it's another Samsung Galaxy phone and it's got a bunch of things in it, but they're not all that awesome." And like you know, they're in a, we're all in a holding pattern because everyone's waiting for, okay, what's the next big thing? You know, that's why everyone keeps talking about stupid iWatch because everyone has to have something to be talking about. And I, I feel like the entire tech industry is in that holding pattern to say, what's going to be the next breakout thing? Even if the next breakout thing is, oh my God, iPad sales are doing a hockey stick and they're going out of control and suddenly people are excited about Apple again and it's in the news again, right? That could yeah. be it too, but but everybody is in it. Like, there's no company that's like, well, Apple's just kind of like boring and not really growing like it used to. But Samsung has got an exciting. No, Samsung's just got another phone, and so you know, Apple's <laughs> going to have another phone, and Samsung's going to have another phone. Do you think Sam, you know, is Samsung going to come out with its you know Galaxy Watch? Is that going to be the exciting thing? So everybody is just kind of like, all right. And now, yeah, Apple was ridiculously punished for you know burning so brightly before and now it's like all right well you'll be punished by the market and you have you have to go into the corner and stay there right but it's not as if there is someone else sweeping past them to be the new darling of the industry that everyone has pinning their hopes and dreams on whose stock price is going up you know 500x and over the course of two years you know there there is no equivalent to that so everyone is just kind of sitting there you know cross-armed saying all right what have you done for me lately and it could be true that this entire year goes by and no one does anything for those customers with their hands folded but I haven't listened to the audio of the earning call yet, but I read some transcripts, and I think Tim Cook was making some feints in that direction of, like, we might have some, you know, entering new categories, and we're not going to give you any timelines. Well, he did give a timeline. He basically said, I mean, in a different comment, he, he what he basically said was, we're going to be releasing new stuff this fall and next year. So it, it, yeah. the, the implication was, don't expect much between now and this fall. Well, I mean, he yeah, wouldn't even get pinned down on that, bit. too. But all he would say is, we will have new stuff in the fall. Of course they'll have new stuff in the fall. I mean, like, obviously. Right. And if he's not going to be any more specific than new stuff, it could be like, oh, we rev, we rev the well, MacBooks. But, but he was Thanks. firm enough on that, though, that I think what that means is, 
all those rumors about there being an iPhone 5S in the spring, that's all crap. You know, that's that's probably not going to happen. I, I think his comments made it very clear. And, and I think I think Gruber said, too, it was kind of like uh, like setting expectations for what's going to be announced between now and WWDC. Like, there's, like, don't expect a whole lot. And what was interesting also is that the press release this morning uh, for WWDC confirmed with a quote from Phil that uh, that at WWDC we will have new versions of iOS and macOS in developers' hands. So that's and that he came out right out and said that. So we're going to see ten well, ten I mean, nine. Did, any, did anyone doubt that? Well, I mean, yeah, going to say we've heard I mean, rumors. That's not a we've heard rumors that ten nine was being delayed oh, because it is being delayed. But you're going to have well, you know, yeah. some version of it. It's not going to be <laughs> right. GM. If it's GM, you won't I'm run screwed, it. Run it. <laughs> and to be and like, then, oh, an iOS five was released at WWC, and the thing didn't work that well. Right. You know, so wait, it, was, so, it wasn't, you know, it's not I, done and yet. that's the one I put on my phone. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah <laughs> no, so, Gruber will never let me forget that. <laughs> oh, I, I think I also put iOS five on my phone. It was a Ugh, big mistake. That's terrible. So if ten nine, if ten nine is GM'd at WWDC and you don't get a ticket, John, and I don't get a ticket, does that mean we don't hang out in a? We don't get on a Google Hangout together because you're going to be too busy. Oh yeah, if ten nine is yeah, no, I'd, I'd still would still have to watch all the video. I don't even know what the hell. I'd right, do. That's that, I, if that <laughs> happened. I'm because that's the problem. Like if that happened, like all the real tech sites with the with like the people who write every day for as their job would have ten nine reviews up in like a day or two. And I would not, I would, you know, where it would be like months and months and it wouldn't be like for, for me taking, you know, three months to write something. It isn't three months better than someone who wrote theirs in two days. It's just not. Uh, so that's all fine. If I take my three months before the release date and all the reviews arrive on the release <laughs> date, you don't care how long it took me. Right. But I don't think I'm going to want to wait for the amount of time. it Oh, you sell yourself write. short. I wonder how uh, long anyway. I'll be able to spend on my review of your review. Yeah. <laughs> Should I write a review of your review of his? You know, review? I think that might have been my highest traffic post of 2012. Yeah, you're riding my coattails. I know. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I was obviously. And now you have like you have you don't have more Google juice than my actual review, but like you're hit you're hit number two. Yeah, exactly. Oh, just, it was just like of all the of all the many people who linked to it, you are the second hit. Wait, I am really. Yeah, I think check so. that you out. Just Google for Syracuse Mountain Lion. You'll. Oh, that's hilarious. Uh, That's fantastic. <laughs> you anyway. were the number one hit for a while. I think. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, and how mad did that make you, John Syracuse? You must I, have I, been. I, I don't think people had me, trouble it was in the title. Was yeah. it or no? You but no, no, yours is in the title too. Oh no! Well, kind no, of. No, my name's not. No, in yeah, the your name is not in the title. So, yeah. And well, I guess it, if you did Ars Technica Mountain Lion, you wouldn't be as highly ranked. But, oh, uh, that's hilarious. Rest assured, that people are not having trouble finding my review. <laughs> oh goodness! Yeah. That's fantastic. All right. So, anything else about earnings, or is that basically? I think. It? Well, and it's worth it's worth thinking about too. Like you know, people who are expecting things earlier than that, like new laptops or anything. Look at the uh, look at Intel's roadmap for what they would put into laptops or Mac Pros or iMacs, and it looks like everything's basically waiting on Haswell right now. But as far as I know, Haswell is not really coming out until third quarter, right? Well, I mean, you know the the Apple Intel magic of them getting stuff. Like not even ahead so much, just like it's like the first day of the quarter they could have it. And like, well, it's not really ahead of schedule. It's exactly when we said it would be. Yeah, but, but we've given Apple preferential treatment, and they were able to arrange it so they can have their stuff out exactly as the stuff arrives. And the Xeons are still this the Ivy Bridge Xeons, right? It's not even you know. Yeah, right now we're still the the current the the E five series and the E three series is Sandy Bridge EP, but then they um, th- there's an E three V two 
line, which I just found out when I was looking at servers a couple days ago. I, I, I totally missed this. Um, it's basically the Ivy Bridge EP version, but it's just single processor. There's no there's no dual processor version, so there's no E5 line as far as I can yeah, tell. So they'll, they'll put that in the X-Mac, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, honestly, like, m- w- my favorite CPU right now for servers, the, the best bang for buck that I, that I can get on a server right now is the E3 1270. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm it's, totally it's on board awesome with CPU. it. I'm totally on board with a single processor non-Xeon Mac Pro replacement machine because if you can have if you can get it clocked higher than a Xeon, you can get it earlier than a Xeon, and it has other possible advantages. You know, in terms of uh, packaging and power consumption, I oh, I yeah. would not turn my nose up at that. I would prefer a Xeon and all the other you know ECC RAM and all that crazy crap that we should not pay for, but we do. Uh, but <laughs> like you know, better. I'll take take what I can get. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, I mean like well, even like my current Mac Pro, my my you know quote new <laughs> Mac Pro from twenty the twenty ten generation, um, it's a single socket because the single socket CPU it's it's the six x three point three three gigahertz one, and that for almost every type of workflow is faster than the dual socket ones because the dual yeah, socket I mean, ones aren't like, clocked that high. It's not like it, it, the old days where you, if you had a single CPU, that meant you had a single thread of execution. I mean, it's, you know, right. it's, they also have like umpteen cores in them, and it's right. like, well, you just have one CPU. It basically like, just limits your RAM slots at this point. Yeah. And, uh, and so, like, you know, if, if, they made an, if, if the next generation of Mac Pro only has one socket in, in any configuration, that actually wouldn't be that bad because the single socket Xeons now are so good that, you know, although, well, they do make a heck of a lot of profit on the bigger ones, though. But I don't know. We'll we'll see. I, I I certainly think that my next Mac Pro after this, assuming it still uses Xeons, is probably still going to be a single socket one. And I bet that's going to be true for a whole lot of buyers. I would spring for the double if it wasn't like add another CPU for two thousand dollars. Like if it's not ridiculous, <laughs> like it was. No, it you would know. be. It would be about. It would be at like at least fifteen hundred, and it would be I, lower clocked. I mean, look at the prices because that's I all. Know. That's all Intel really. Look at the prices now. I'd have to th- I'd have to think about it hard because like it's not it's not as if I'm it's not as if this is a value <laughs> it's not as if I can calculate oh well I really I don't need this you know I don't need it I but like it's I, if I buy a new machine once every five years damn it I want it to be the big <laughs> beefy one and I'll just have to decide do I think that really is the big beefy one because you know like you said it probably would be lower clocked if they right. offered a single core they could crank it up but there there are too many variables the point is we just want something even if it's not called a Mac Pro whatever it is. Something that's not an iMac, something that's not a laptop, something that's not a Mac Mini, and well, that's, that's really really fast. Didn't uh, didn't Cook say last year that sometime during 2013 they would have something that will make the yes. Mac Pro customers happy? No, what he that's said what was he said. later next year. So in, well, right. in late, but so we don't know what the later applies to. But Is that certainly does correspond well to uh, the next iteration of the Xeons. Well, and beyond that, I mean, we're, if he just said in in so many words that there's not going to be anything until the fall, it sounds like he's running out of time. Well, he, I shouldn't say he, Apple is running out of time. But I don't think anyone, there's like seven people waiting for the answer to that question. Yes, <laughs> but all really seven like, of you are very, very whiny. Yeah, that's we, are, very we are very whiny, we're very loud, but what he was actually <laughs> referring to was like, you know, whatever, like, again, I had to listen to the earning calls, but like, possibly entering a new product category. Whatever that means, it means something more exciting than a new iPhone, a new iPad, or a new Mac. I mean, that's that's what... Yes. And, and you know, and, and even that didn't produce enough excitement to cause any sort of market bump. It's just like, all right, well, that's what we all expect. That's what, You're right, Tim. That is what we're waiting for, but we're going to sit here with our arms folded until we get that thing. And so, nah. <laughs> well, one thing that was also really interesting from the call 
was the number of iPads sold. And and this was this was crazy. Basically they sold like nineteen point something million iPads and that was more than they sold in the holiday quarter. That's, well, I mean, that's crazy. I think that makes sense because if you look at all look at all Simco Horostadu's uh graphs, uh the the I if you look at all whenever he overlays them so you can just see like let's just put each product's beginning of each product's introduction and pin them to the you know the zero on the the x axis and you look at the slopes of the various curves like here's how the iPad took off and here's how the Mac took off and here's how the iPhone took off the iPad always had the steepest slope it was like why the, you know it was small the absolute values weren't very high, but it's like, boy, the iPad is taking off much steeper than the iPhone. The iPhone took off much steeper than the iPod, and the Mac is just, you know, way back as this, you know, gradual ramp up to nothing. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's not it's not a surprise that the iPad continues to rocket up like that. Well, and that's kind of like the wild card, which, if you want to be optimistic about Apple, is where is the ceiling on iPad sales? Because it is so capable of replacing a PC for so many people and will only become more capable in time, you know, and they'll keep driving the price down. And we're just kind of we're just getting off the ground like we're, we're at like the, the iPhone 3GS stage of the iPad right now. You know what I mean? Like we got the, the one and then we got the one that's faster and cooler, but it's fatter. And now we got the mini, but we're now waiting for the big one to shrink like we are not even once the iPad hits like the iPhone 4 stage. Uh, and and the iPhone five and beyond, I think there is tremendous sales potential for these things, as not you know as PC replacements basically. Not you have this instead of a PC, but for people who never had a PC before, uh, this will get them in the door. And for people who do have a PC, they're going to buy this as a companion and stop using their PC as much. And we're nowhere close to the ceiling on that. Versus the phone market, where it's like the competitors are locked in a deadly battle, and you know the number of non smartphones is dwindling. Uh, I think they were they just crossed fifty percent smart non smartphones and stuff right. like that. There is not there is not this like ridiculous upside where we're like oh by this time next year there will be seven x as many smartphones sold. That that time is over, but that time is not over for the iPad. So you know there's there's and and the other thing is there's no the, the competitors in the tablet market are not making a dent in the iPad so far. So uh, actually that's not true. Are you counting Kindles? Well, well, yeah. I mean, everyone else does. So yeah, you have to count Kindles and Nooks. <laughs> I don't know if you have to. Well, yeah, I well, guess that's true. Nobody and nobody knows how much they've really sold, do they? I mean, everyone. But I it's not. Like, it's not like where you see the market share graphs, where it's like you know, you know, Android versus uh, iPhone, and Android is like fifty something percent, and iPhone is like twenty. Like it's it, every time you see a tablet, it's like Apple has like seventy or eighty, depending on who's counting what. Well, but the, I, I think that I think that is steadily going down. I think it used to be Apple had like. 85 to 90 and then you know it's been slowly creeping down and now it's like 79 like it's they, they still have obviously a dominant hold on it and, and but, i think but that's it's okay for that to go on when the overall size of the market is going up so rapidly right. it's okay to, to be like because think of the think of the ipod, has the, to iPod move hovered, the ipod hovered around 70 for a long time uh and that was just plain fine 70 was considered dominant because like other plus random, you know, competitors is always going to add up to like thirty percent or something. But everyone, you know, if you hmm. went to buy a music player, you're just going to get an iPod. I never realized it was, was that low because, yeah, you know, everyone kind of assumed that the iPod was like pretty much the only game in town. I think I think if you look at it now, they always they always peg the number around seventy something. It wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't as dominant as you would think it would because we never would consider anything else. Like what what are people buying besides iPods? I don't even wouldn't even know where to go for such a thing. But you know, the right. world is a big place. And it's one of those things probably where like you know, number one is the, is the iPod. Number two is like like one percent. You know, because it's like because there's two. so many entries in that. Uh, what is it? The the second plurality or something? Uh, yeah. 
I, I don't know. I don't know math. <laughs> I'm just a programmer. I, I, I think it's it's also worth pointing out, uh, based you know based on what you just said about smartphones and market and everything, um, that that we have crossed an important threshold in the industry, and and I don't think the industry knows it yet. So I'm going to announce it here. Big news. You heard it here first. My mother just purchased her first smartphone. Really? How much? How much prompting from you? I told her not to get one. <laughs> Actually, Did because I didn't want phone? I didn't want to support that and, and her needs for like she has she has a MacBook Air and loves it. She had an iMac or uh, an iBook before that. Um, she actually figured out the computer pretty well. I was I was pleasantly surprised because she's really really non technical. Um, I was pleasantly surprised by how well she does on the computer. But I told her you don't need an iPad and you don't need a smartphone because I you know I I know what she does and doesn't do for the most part and uh, like you know just. And she she abuses her phones and you know so I'm like just get whatever cheap flip phone you can get. So she's had a flip phone for years. She just got her first smartphone against my advice. Can you guess what phone she got? A Galaxy Note, the free iPhone four. John, you are you are correct. I know. She, you. Even though Every I told time. her she was she she was visiting here, you know, my she was visiting my library of old iPhones uh, in my house uh, a couple of weeks ago or a month ago, and uh, and I showed her. Okay, I'm like, here's the iPhone four, here's the iPhone five. Um, I didn't show her the four S because who cares? Um, I knew she wouldn't care about the difference. So I was like, here's the four, here's the five, and I told her specifically, do not get the free one. The one that's even a hundred bucks more is way better. Because the, the 4S, the 4S is so much better than the four, and I showed her the five, and I'm like, "Look, for 200, you can get this one. It is way better than even the middle one." And you know, trust me, this is this is the. I was trying to push you a five, like just get the 16 gig, the you know, the cheapest one. Trust me, get that; it's great. Um, and if you if you don't want to spend 200 bucks, at least spend the 100 and get the 4S. Do not get the iPhone four. She goes and gets the iPhone four. <laughs> and calls me like afterwards saying, "Hey, guess what I just got?" <laughs> and she kept saying, "It was free." I, yeah, I know you told you me to get the other one, but this that. one was free, and that, it was like so the Seinfeld episode. Who buys batteries? <laughs> like it was so powerful that that's why this really, you know, this really matters a lot to have that in in the free category. I mean, it matters so much that you know people aren't thinking about the plan costs over time or. You know how how you can just spend a hundred bucks over this two thousand dollar phone contract, spend a hundred bucks more, and have way better device the whole time. Because she's she actually will keep it the whole two years. Like she's not going to upgrade early or anything. Um, so you know, it's you don't just have to sound uh, so judgy. I have I'm still rocking my <laughs> 4s because I'm too cheap to get a new one every year. But the 4s is a decent phone, and even by today's standards, it's it's a heavy big brick, but it's decent. Oh, <laughs> that's, why, that's why I said in my in my Apple. 2013 to-do list, you know, to uh, add more variety for the phone lineup, like make a purpose-built, low-cost, you know, free phone instead of having the old one, because I think you can get a better phone out for similar cost and similar margins than just redoing. The, maybe I'm wrong about oh, that, yeah. Tim Cook, and tell me about the manufacturing stuff, but like think of how much better you would feel if she was getting a free phone with exactly the same power and specs as the iPhone 4, but like not an actual iPhone 4, like made a purpose-built thing made with old technology, but a newer phone. And that, right, like that an A5 a, with a plastic shell. 
Yeah, well, I mean, you don't have to make it crappy, but like you, you have the technology now to make a better phone than that. Maybe use die shrunk versions of components. Maybe you can make it a little bit smaller and lighter. Maybe you can bump up the margin a little bit. You know, I, I know why they want to keep making the same phone. You've got the assembly lines going. You've got the parts going. It's like you're in a groove. The cost of everything is going way, way down. But there's that certain point where, like, you know, remember, remember when USB one started to become more expensive than USB two? There was that crossover point <laughs> yep. where it was like. If you actually wanted to put USB one on your motherboard or in your computer, you would end up paying more because right. everybody or like, or like when you have old RAM and you want to upgrade, like you know, if you still have like something that uses DDR two and you know, trying to find that nowadays is really yeah. expensive. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not that extreme, but like, I think there is definitely a case to be made for, and even if only just from a marketing perspective. So you don't, feel, your mother doesn't care that she's getting an old phone, but some people do. Like, I don't think oh, she knows that it's old. The the iPhone four, like the the four and the four S, looking the same probably helps in this regard but like i would feel bad that if i was apple that people are out there today coming home with a new phone that is just as old as the iphone 4 like i'd rather them coming home with a phone with similar power but maybe better battery life maybe a slightly better screen like maybe maybe a fixed home button yeah maybe no glass on the back like all the things (laughs) that you can do to like make it i mean you said plastic make it more durable for people who you know aren't going to be as precious about their phones right uh and they're you I don't know how they make that work financially in terms of making the same phone over and over again being cheaper versus making a new one. But yeah, the power of free with contract in the US anyway, I don't know how it is elsewhere. I I would really like to see them uh do that and come out with a line of phones with the same sort of the same price points free, ninety nine dollars, two ninety nine, and then the, the you know, ridiculous phone. But not have as soon as you go off the top line, have it be like, Oh, you're just getting the old phone. You know, because that there's something about that that makes me feel like they're they're not they're leaving they're leaving money and reputation on the table by continuing to sell old phones that far into the past. Sell so the previous one fine, but don't go back like two models or three models. Oh, I mean, yeah, I just I th- I think like you know, think about the tech world. Think about what you were doing and what else was around when the iPhone four came out. You know that the iPhone four came out a few months after the iPad one. For one thing, yeah, and nobody wants and, an iPad One. If they give you the like iPad One, who wants an iPad One at this point? You can't like you can't practically give them away. Like they're right. even children turn their nose up at them because they don't play the <laughs> Tokoboko games for wow. the good frame right. rate. You know, so like it, you know, it, it came out right after the iPad One by a few months, and like it was in 2010. I was still at Tumblr when that when the iPhone Four came out. And, and just thinking about, like, how long we've had retina screens. Like, now it seems like we've always had retina screens on our phones. Maybe not everything else, but on our phones, of course, we've always had retina screens. Nope, it's been since 2010, which was almost three years ago. And oh, I, I just – and I can't believe, like, there's there's people now getting A4 devices with crappy home buttons and questionable antenna designs. But and I'm like, going like to have to support like give those. Give them a little bit more RAM, you know? Like right. do a, do a sh- do, Fine, make it an A4. Make it, shrink it, make it slightly higher clock, and double the RAM. And then all of a sudden, it's not as embarrassing anymore. It's not, it's not as, uh, as much a pain for software developers who have to deal with this. You know what I mean? It's just so, it's so much better for everyone involved. And then you probably wouldn't care that much that your mom got the iPhone free model. Because you're like, oh, well, it's not that terrible. Oh, see, I disagree because what do you think the likelihood is that the iPhone 4 will run iOS 7 when it comes That's out? That's a very as good we question. Know for sure. Yeah, I, the, the, I your would mom be doesn't stunned. care if she can run iOS 7. Eh, well, but as a developer, until... I have to care. Yeah, that's you know, true if they're too. still selling all these, like last year they were still selling 3GSs 
until the iPhone 5 came oh. out. Well, that's why I said double the RAM, because, like, RAM ends yeah. up being limiting. Like, that's why multitasking couldn't go on the other phones. You know, like, CPU power and GPU power keeps you out of games and stuff. But I think they're probably past the point now where they're adding OS features that can't run because of CPU constraints. It's always RAM, but they're still relatively RAM-starved. And there's no getting around that. There's nothing you can do to, like, optimize your code to, like... You know, because if the OS is taking up a bigger portion of RAM, you have less left over for you. And no matter how you, you know, optimize your stuff, you can't fix the OS. So that's, you know, the 4 is just, it's too, it's too old. Like the 3GS was even worse hanging around for that long. It's just, what were the RAM levels? It was like, what did the 3GS have? 128. Uh, two, two, 128 and then, you know. No, 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 like, it was 256. Never mind. 256 and Please then. Please email Casey. Like, yeah, like 512, <laughs> 1 gig. Like, if you look at the, the RAM things, they're doubling, right? And we're not out of the uncomfortable part. Like, we're, we're still in, you know, even with the 1 gig, you feel like, oh, well, you know, if I, if I run a big game, it could be pushing up against the edge there, yeah. right? Well, and Retina st- kind of took us back in that regard a little bit because everything started taking, like, all the textures and everything started taking way more RAM, four times as much RAM. Yeah, and we're not even talking about adding swap. We're saying, fine, still no swap. We're still okay with that because we don't know, we don't realize that the, you know, the performance constraints are the reason for that, right? But at least get us out of the woods. If we go through two or three more doubling periods, then we're going to be like, all right, there's nothing they're going to do with the OS and any one individual app that's going to hose, you know, a, a two gig or a four gig phone. And then your, if your mom has a four, it's, if your mom has a four gig phone, even if that phone is three years old, you're like, it's got four gigs, it'll be fine, right? I can't, I can't, I don't know what they could add that will make a four gig phone say, oh, don't get that one, doesn't have enough RAM to run the the OS and basic apps. All right, you want to wrap it up? Sure. I think we're good. All right, special thanks again to our two sponsors today, MailRoute and Hover. Go to mailroute.oh, uh, crap, is it net? <laughs> yes. I, I, I closed that window. We are so professional go to, here. <laughs> go to mailroute.net to uh, check out their uh, hosted email filtering service. It filters out spam and viruses and other stuff, other good services there too. Um, and then check out Hover.com, Hover.com slash ATP to uh, get a little discount on your, on your order there. Hover is an awesome domain registrar and uh, can't recommend them enough. Um, thanks a lot, guys. And uh, this was a, uh, our first test of live streaming. I think it worked very well. And um, yeah, thanks a lot. And uh, we'll see you next week. Now the show is over. They didn't even mean to begin. Cause it was accidental. accidental Oh, it was accidental. accidental John didn't do any research Marco and Casey wouldn't let him Cause it was accidental, accidental. Oh, it was accidental. accidental And you can find the show notes at atp.fm And if you're into Twitter You can follow them At C-A-S-E-Y-L ISS, so that's Casey Liss, M-A-R-C-O, A-R-M, E-N-T, Marco Armin, S-I-R-A-C, USA Syracuse, it's accidental, accidental. Is my voice synthetic? I feel like I'm subconsciously making my voice synthetically deep because I feel because there's an audience now, as though there wasn't an audience before. Well, maybe it feels more real now. Yeah, seriously. You know, don't overthink it, Casey. I know for real. I'm already dooming myself. I thought you were uh, coming to this episode uh, lubricated.
let's just say I had an after work function where I might have had a drink or two, and I definitely have some of my. Um, <laughs> what do we call the the coffee? The fussy coffee. I have fussy vodka. How, what exactly is? I mean, I know this is probably not relevant to the show, but who cares? What exactly is fussy vodka? Uh, th- I don't think there is really such a thing. It's just a vodka that you have to special order from our local. So, so the to get alcohol in Virginia, you have to go to an ABC store, which is a state-run thing. And um, and so, in order to get this particular bottle of vodka, you have to special order it, and that's what I've done. So it's marginally fussy. Okay, I guess. That, I mean, I, I guess that I'm works. Not a, I'm not a coffee drinker, so it's the next best thing, right? Now, I'm, John, I'm curious, do you have fussy water? <laughs> the fussiest water gets is I let the tap run until, you know, this, the water that's been sitting in the pipes and kind of coming up to room temperature runs out a little bit, and I get the, uh, the slightly colder water. That's <laughs> as fussy as it gets. Oh, that's fantastic. So I guess you want to start the show? I, maybe this is the show already. No, this is not the show. Good God. <laughs> 